Well, thank you guys for joining us. What a privilege it is to come every week and to lift up Jesus together. And I meant every word I said. My desire is to increasingly what you experience at an altar to be what we experience on a Sunday. And I've been building altars of worship with the word of prayer for a lot of years. And for some reason, I've settled or allowed the dynamics that happen in an altar and the dynamics on a Sunday morning to be uh, too far apart. Because did you know the sweet, the sweetness of when believers gather is that each has a voice, each has an offering, each has a prayer, each has praise to lift Jesus. When you come into this room, even though it looks like audience, uh, performer, spectator, um, you know, person on stage, the truer reality of when believers gather is that we are a priesthood that gathers unto Jesus, all of us equal opportunity access to come right into his presence and to move his heart with our praise and to partner with his heart in our intercession. And uh, you don't come to church, no one comes to church these days just for the things that we used to have to go someplace, like for content or information. Like I'm increasingly believing that what the church will have to offer the world at large, which is always what we've had to offer, but increasingly so in the future, is a place to belong, to connect, and then to ascend and commune with Jesus and to participate um, in his story together. All in favor say amen. So I just, I, I uh, man, life is hard. And Sunday is just a, a moment where you can really lay your heart, your burden, your praise down before Jesus. And it's, it's wanted, it's needed, and it's, it's, um, it's a privilege for every believer to do that, to do that. And so we've been in this conversation. If you're new here, welcome. My name, sorry, I should have done this three minutes ago, is Chad, and it's a joy to welcome you. And um, as Tony said, we are, we're a church that's really just trying to take seriously what all of the Gospels record Jesus doing after he rearranged the temple furniture, that his Father's house would be a house of prayer for all nations. That burning within the, the zealous heart of Jesus is a desire that his Father's house would look a certain way, and it would function a certain way, namely, that it would be a place of prayer where each person would be able to bring their life surrendered to him, lift their cares, cast their anxieties, because we believe there's someone on the other end of the line of our prayers and praise. If you believe that, can you say amen? And it moves him. And so we are increasingly, um, as we kicked off our fall season, seeking to align our hearts with our time, treasure, talent, what's on our calendar, things that are important to us to be increasingly built into a dwelling place for God's presence. So this is part three. Um, but it's a standalone. So if you're like, I didn't hear the last two, it'll we'll pick up. And I'm kind of really good at repeating myself over and over and over again. It's not funny, but it's true. Uh, my dad always jokes that uh, every minister really has one message, and each year you add one minute to that message. I, it's actually kind of true. Like each of us has a specific thing, you know, we really, really carry. And I would say one of the things I've put on the earth to carry is how believers can function together as a dwelling place for God's presence. We call it the altar, place of prayer and worship in the word. And so we're going to just dive right in. Um, if you have your Bible, we're going to really spend significant time in Romans 12. Very, very famous passage, Romans 12, 1 through 2. 
And uh, we, we touched on this last week, but we're going to go way deeper. Uh, if you remember last week, if you don't remember last week, it's okay. I hardly do either. But we, uh, we barely scratched the surface on this passage. And so let's just read this together slowly out loud, and then uh, we'll, we'll just work our way through it. One, two, three, go. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. This is the word of God. Can we say thanks be to God? And this phrase hit me last week. God is telling us through the Apostle Paul, I don't want your spiritual life. I want you, the whole thing. If God only wanted our spiritual life, as I said last week, kind of cheekily, that would be a bummer because so many of us, our spiritual life only encompasses maybe one hour, one and a half, if you go to Radiant, one hour and 15, let's be honest, um, on a Sunday. And God is telling us, even as Christ's sacrifice purchased the whole person and his blood is salvation for all who believe, in the same way, how we respond to that, his all-out offering is with an all-out offering in response. And so I remember I was prayer walking about a week and a half ago, and I'm just asking the Lord for insight on this passage of how do we offer our bodies as a sacrifice to the Lord. And I, it was as clear as a friend talking to me. The Lord's like, tell them, I don't just want their spiritual life. I want their whole life. And so this phrase, offer your bodies, your lived experience as a perpetual sacrifice and offering to me. And as you do that, as you offer, as you offer, as you offer, within an environment where the body is functioning as the body of Christ, we will have the ability by the Holy Spirit to test and approve God's will. And then what three, I love he describes his will as good, pleasing, and perfect. How many would take a little good, pleasing, and perfect this week? Walking in the will of God, all of us. So I want your work, your family, your kids, your money, your time, talent, recreation, physical, emotional, mental. I want all of it, Paul says, by the Holy Spirit. All of it is meant to be an offering unto him. And, and again, this is, a, this, is very, this is the last slide of repeat. Because all of life has been marred and deformed by sin in the pattern of this world, all of life now needs to be transformed by God's truth, patterned after the way of Jesus by the Holy Spirit. Does that make sense? If I was messed up, and I was messed up because of sin, my thought life, what I did with my hands, my eyes, my mind, my body, when I was a slave to sin before I surrendered my life to Jesus, all of my life was was deformed. Now that you're in Christ, he wants to transform all of your life by his truth, pattern after a new way, not the way of the world, but the way of Jesus. Does that make sense? Amen. So he, he summarizes it brilliantly in Romans 5.21. Just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ. When you were rescued from darkness, you were brought into a new kingdom. I say this almost every week, Colossians 1.14. And now that you're in the kingdom of light, now it's, learned to, it's time to learn to live a brand new life. And 
Paul describes that reality, righteousness, and in that reality called righteousness, grace reigns and waters the seeds of his word. Amen? Do you picture it? Now that I've been made right with God through Jesus, this atmosphere I inhabit is called righteousness, and in that environment, just picture grace like reigning. It's bringing fruitfulness. It's bringing power. It's bringing favor. It's bringing uh, the blessing and favor of God. How many are thankful that we live in that environment called righteousness and we have access to all that God has made available through Jesus? We call it grace, the grace of God. So in this new environment, if you're a believer here this morning, that grace is not a one and done like, oh, I tasted it, it was good. The grace of God now gets to work on the inside of us so that we are increasingly transformed to more and more, Romans 8, 29, look like the one who saved us, like Jesus Christ. Did you know that the Father has an agenda for every one of his sons and daughters to grow us up so that we resemble his son? Every one of us, his intention for every believer on the planet as they inhabit that place called righteousness and they're transformed in an ongoing way with the grace that reigns therein, that grace will transform our thought life, our attitudes, our character, our actions, things we like, things we love, things we do. That grace will transform us all the way until we see him face to face and we can throw off that, that dim glass and we'll see the one who really bore the marks of our redemption. How many are thankful that day is coming? Until then, that grace is forming us and transforming us. Now, I want to highlight something very significant. We talked about a dwelling place. Well, God comes. We bring an offering. Paul described it as the, our living sacrifice. Well, throughout the Bible, what was God always faithful to provide when there was a sacrifice? The fire, which represents the presence of God. So when we talk about how do I actually not just confess I am slash we are a dwelling place, how does that become a reality when we never stop offering all that we are, all that we have to him? If there's an offering, there is sufficient fire. Amen? If there's a yielded up yes, there is a sufficient bigger yes on the under, other end of that yes to consume it, to empower it, to energize us, to be the peculiar people of God. This is how it functionally works in real time that we would become a dwelling place for God. And as we offer, he told us something unique happens. We begin to be transformed in our minds. How many need their minds transformed in an ongoing way? Anyone else have clutter up there? Some discouragement, maybe some anxiety, depression, some worry, some false. You're listening to the father of lies instead of the father of light, father of truth. I think I Googled it, 30,000 thoughts a day, and every one of them, 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 5, is meant to be brought and bowed low before the supremacy of Jesus. So how many need help with your 30,000 thoughts each day? But here's what's amazing. Paul, earlier in his letter, says that when we were in sin, our mind was depraved. It was dark. It was futile. Not only did we not worship God as God, we worshiped and served created things. And he gave us over. He let our minds were so twisted and darkened and depraved that we didn't know right from wrong. In fact, we didn't just approve of what was wrong. Now we applaud others for joining us in our wrongdoing. That's how insidious and detrimental to our lives, Paul calls it death, that sin is. But when we were in Christ, we had the invitation to cast off our fleshly minds and then to 
be given a new mind, which is in accordance with the Holy Spirit. I said this a few, well, it would have been a year and a quarter ago. I still remember it because it got the whole house laughing, even though I wasn't trying to be funny. We need a new governor. <laughs> Everyone's like, what did you think? We need the Holy Spirit to be our governor. Amen. We need another one to help us determine ultimate reality that we live in and function in. And Paul says, we now have access to a transformed mind because we now have the Spirit of God. The mind governed by the flesh is death. I don't want that governor. But the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God, fleshly living, self-absorption, pride, arrogance, me, I'm the king of my own kingdom. That spirit is hostile to God. It doesn't submit to God's law, nor can it do so. So Paul, after making all of those arguments through his whole letter, say it with me again, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So we see the connection. Because God's not just interested in a one-and-done or even uh, worship, as many times we think about it, a song service. He wants our worship to affect our worldview, which, is affected, which affects our whole life. Say it with me. Worship impacts worldview, impacts whole life. You see it? So it's interesting. Everyone offer everything because his mercy is breathtaking. How he accomplished that's all of Romans. I wanted to preach the whole book as I prep for Sunday, but I'm like, stick to the notes. But what he did in chapters 1 all the way through 11 was weave how God's mercy was able to accomplish God's purpose in spite, or not in spite of, in, even in light of human sinfulness and rebellion with both Israel and the Gentiles. He's saying in view of all of that mercy, worship, offer up everything, and as you worship, I'll change your thinking, which impacts how you view reality so that you can transform the reality that we inhabit called everyday life with the, the glory of the gospel. Does that make sense? Worship, worldview, all of life. Worship, worldview, all of life. And he calls it testing and proving God's good, pleasing, perfect will. One commentator, this is actually a hodgepodge I studied, as I studied, resist the pressure to be squeezed into the mold and pattern of this world. You need to be reprogrammed, and I love that, that language, of the mind. It doesn't take place overnight. Can I get an amen? It's a lifelong process by which the way of thinking is to be resemble more and more the way God wants us to think. And then I love this. This was another smarter person than me. Until our minds are so thoroughly renewed from within, almost instinctively we are to do, uh, to please God in any given situation. So he wants it to be our norm, kind of like if you throw a cat off a building. I've never done that. Maybe downstairs when I was seven, but don't tell anybody. They're in, that's an honest confession. Um, maybe I was eight. I, I knew better regardless of my age. But, you know, they're able to just, wear, however you throw them, don't do that. I'm not, okay. All the cat people are like, I'm never coming back to this church. I'm so sorry. I was seven or eight. But somehow, whatever way they do it, they're able to land on their feet. And I love what, okay, now we all got the word picture. But in the same way, if we become those all of life worshipers and he's transforming us through the gospel and through the word, Whatever life throws at us, we're not just landing on our feet. We're a, we're a faithful ambassador representative of the king and his kingdom in that space and place. Does that make sense? 
That's the ongoing transformation that the Lord wants to bring to every believer. So no matter what you face, you've been renewed, reprogrammed, not after the pattern of the world, but of the pattern of the world to come, the kingdom. And so in that place, like the cat, you are able to stand and land and to be that solid, faithful witness of the goodness and grace of God. Does that make sense? Cat, stairs, you'll never forget it, bless God. So, so Jesus doesn't just declare us innocent and justified, which he does, but he also empowers us to embody and express the righteous life he desires. And I, so how, what is offering a, that's a weird language for us on this side of the cross, I know. What does offering up a living sacrifice mean? And here's, as I just camped on it all week, every time we obey the word and will of the Lord, a sacrifice goes up. This has impacted me this week as I've been, obviously I'm the one studying for the sermon. But if I'm supposed to offer my body, which again, not just my spiritual life, not just that little part of my life, my whole life is an offering for him. When my wife asked me to do something that I don't wanna do, I don't tell her this because it would lose its reward and it would annoy her. I'm like, this is a chance to become a living sacrifice. Instead of choosing selfish desires, like what I wanna do in the moment, I'm gonna just help because that's what you should do anyway. But it's impacted these little dialogues I have with my heart and with the spirit of God that every time I obey, a living sacrifice goes up. How many offerings is, is there available to us to offer the one who's worthy of everything every day? Does that impact you? Maybe I didn't describe it good enough. All week, I'm like, this is a living sacrifice moment. I can obey you here. I can say yes to the spirit instead of yes to the flesh. Every time that inner dialogue takes place and you choose because he's worthy of it all, this expression is for his glory. A little living sacrifice goes up, boom. The aroma, the incense of obedience, of worship and praise. In the exact same way, I was thinking of this this morning on my prayer walk, when Jesus teaches us to pray, your kingdom come, he then tells us how his kingdom comes. How? Your will be done. Say it with me. Your kingdom come. Where does it come? Wherever his will is done. So at the center, the crosshairs of obedience both the kingdom comes and a living sacrifice is offered to God. Does that make sense? Let me just pause and let you sit, sit on that. So every time the kingdom comes, a living sacrifice goes up. Because at the crosshairs of both, someone's obeying the word and will of God. Incense, aroma, praise, obedience. At the crosshairs of both, both the kingdom comes in greater measure and an offering is given that pleases the Lord. So this, like all things in the kingdom of God, guess who modeled this the best? Come on, guys, that wasn't a trick question. <laughs> who was the best at the kingdom coming through his life and a living sacrifice being offered up? Jesus. Look what, this is amazing. So whoever wrote Hebrews, a lot of people think Paul, I do too. Look what the writer describes the whole life of Jesus being about. When Jesus came to the world, Hebrews 10, he did not, he said, he, he said, sacrifice and offering you didn't desire, but a body you prepared for me. 
With burnt offerings and sin offerings, even though the whole Torah, it demanded them to cover and atone for sin so that a holy God could live amongst an unholy people. The offering of bulls and goats never really pleased you. It was never the intention. It was you making allowance for our sinfulness until the once and for all sacrifice and your son would come. Then I said, here I am. It is written about me in the scroll. I have come to do your will, my God. Rowan Williams, uh, a great theologian said this, the reason why the the last sacrifice of Jesus and the laying down of his life was sufficient because he offered 10 million sacrifices on the way to that sacrifice through obedience. Are you tracking with me? So I love when the writer of Hebrews connects the whole vocation of Christ to save us. Christ knew his bodily life for 33 and a half years, every opportunity, attitude, action, character, conduct, All of it was one obedient sacrifice of his heart to the will and word of his father 10,000 times so that when he gave his life on the cross, he looked at the whole scope of his life and said all of it was worthy. All of it was perfect. All of it was in uh, radical and complete obedience to me. Does that make sense? But I love, he says, a body you prepared for me. Remember, Paul says, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, which means Obedience to God is a full contact reality. In the messiness of family life, relationships, workplace, time, treasure, talent, that's why I want to raise the bar of our expectation. Worship, things that bring glory to God are things that you and I too often put in the unimportant category, but the Lord says all of it matters to me because all of it's an opportunity to bring me glory. Does that make sense? So if I think the only thing that brings him glory is the one or two hours I do church stuff, then your Christianity, frankly, is anemic. But if I realize all of it is an opportunity for the kingdom to come, because his will's done, and for a sacrifice of offering and worship and obedience, that throughout our whole life, we can be all of life worshipers. And why is that important? Because we've been talking about becoming a dwelling place for God, for his presence and for his power. And as we seek to obey his will and to do his will and obey his word. Again, when you offer a sacrifice, usually it costs an animal its life. We are, this is cheeky language, but we're killing the alternative, namely living for ourself and sin pattern after the spirit of this age. So we're, we're, we're laying that opportunity down and our lived obedience is the offering that moves his heart. Does that make sense? Just let that sit for a few seconds. I guess what we're trying to say is how we live matters. Amen? Way, way more. Like, again, maybe it's not connecting with you, but way more. He's way more than just interested in your spiritual life. He is Lord over all, so all of it matters to him. And then lastly, this this verse, it's, it's very, very related to Romans 12. Let's read it on the screens together in Hebrews 13, 15 through 16. Through Jesus, therefore, let us, what is that word again? Continually, wait, wait, one more time. Continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that openly profess his name. And do not forget to do good and to share with others For with such, God is pleased. Look at that language, same language. Literally, it's like the corollary, Romans 12, Hebrews 13. 
instead of complaining or arguing, what I'm trying to say is we can be offering offerings as living embodied sons and daughters all day, every day, all throughout the day. Instead of, now let's talk about our lips. Oh, no one wants to talk about our language. Instead of complaining, arguing, murmuring, or whatever else, when we walk through hardship, sorrow, suffering, we can offer a sacrifice of praise in that place, and we're called to do this continually. Do I have any complainers, like good complainers? The unfortunate thing about if our, if our lips are not brought into the worship expression Jesus is worthy of, our words create the worlds that we inhabit. So he calls us to, through Jesus, continually, say continually. What do you think of when you think of continually? Just like the offering up of our bodies, our lived life experiences, we're now to offer up the fruit of our lips as an opportunity to praise God, to praise him. It's never a one and done ordeal. Do we understand how big of a deal this is? How many times, instead of offering a living sacrifice or a sacrifice of praise, do I choose the alternative? Let's be real with each other. I don't want to obey here or there or then. I just want to complain, slander, be sarcastic or cynical here or there or then. And in all of it, guess who's robbed of his glory? Through his sons and daughters. Not in the sense that we can diminish his glory. I'm saying our little opportunity to express praise, gratitude, thanksgiving for what he's done through his son for us. We rob, we rob ourselves of the opportunity to bring that offering to the Lord. And I, just pr- I want that to infect your mind, literally to transform your mind. The, the word is metamorphosis. We would have, a, we would have a tr- the, the same word as used of the transfiguration. We would be so transformed in our mindset. Again, our worship impacts our worldview, which impacts all of life. I want you to think this week, when you have an opportunity to obey God's word or express his will, a sacrifice is going up. You're obeying. And guess who's faithful to consume with, his pre- with more of his presence, every little offering. Just picture that. More of his fire, more of his love, more of his presence. And listen, this is theologically true. You think, really, is there more? Yes, there is more. Ask the Father. Luke eleven thirteen, and they will give the Holy Spirit without measure to those who ask. And I'm telling you, there's a direct correlation to our experience of the more of his presence and our everyday expression of offering up the entirety of our life as a worship offering to Jesus. Can you say amen if that makes sense? Sort of. So here, here, here's where we land the plane. Romans 12 and Hebrews 13, what we just read, both the living sacrifice and the fruit of lips, that, that sacrifice of praise. They both give the reason why we're to do it. As if we needed a reason, but they both give very, very good reasons. Namely, the mercy of God and through Jesus. Say it with me, the mercy of God and through Jesus. If you remember both passages before Paul, or whoever wrote Hebrews, maybe Paul, Before we get to imperatives, how we're to live, he makes great links to give us indicatives, what God has done. In other words, indicatives inspire imperatives. So because of what God has done through Jesus, indicative, we are now to live and respond in a certain way, imperative. Does that make sense? I'm not an English expert, but I've been thinking of that phrase all week. 
and Paul does for both. Instead of just saying, hey, offer everything, get really religiously busy, earn your own way. No, he says, this is what God has done through Jesus. Now live in light of that. Amen? Same thing in Hebrews. Through Jesus, continually offer a sacrifice of praise. Indicatives inspire and infuse imperatives. Romans 12, in view of God's mercy. I love that language. It's like every believer has a chair that's just like, oh my goodness, look how merciful God is. Look at the language, in view of it. It's our, it's our orienting vision. What God has done through Jesus, that we deserve sin, we deserve eternal separation, but Christ stepped in. Very rarely, Romans 5, 8 through 10, will a righteous man, will someone die for a righteous person? But God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Rick prayed it earlier, we were far from God at our lowest. The father said, perfect time for my son to lay down his life for them. Indicatives, because of what Jesus has done, imperatives, I want to offer my body as a living sacrifice. Indicative, because if you read Hebrews 13, 10 through 14, before our offer praise, Jesus went outside the city gate, suffered alone, hung naked, fully exposed all of our sin in his body. Because Jesus did that, now through Jesus, imperative, offer the fruit of your lips as a sacrifice of perpetual praise. Are you tracking with me? What God has done in Jesus inspires and infuses the entirety of our little tiny offerings back because, because of what God has done for us through Jesus. It's never, look at the size of my offering and how amazing my day was. It was, oh my goodness, look how great Jesus is. And in light of him, I get the privilege of offering up my life as a little sacrifice. In this moment, instead of slandering my coworker, I get to shut the thing down. I get to speak truth. And in that little sacrifice, which I'm to give continually, through the fruit of my lips, God is praised instead of his name being slandered. Indicatives inspire imperatives. The mercy of God and through Jesus. In other words, the invitation to offer all to Jesus in real time with our actual bodies, with our actual hearts, minds, and will is related to the one who first offered his all for us. In view of God's mercy, Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Through Jesus, let us continually offer to God the sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that confess his name. Do you see how it works? It's always in view of and through. Do you hear me? This is key. If you missed this, you missed everything. It's in view of and through. It's, oh, and who's the fulcrum? Who's, who's the, it's Jesus. Because of him because of what he did, because of who he is, because of his word, because of his greatness, because of his mercy, I get to now lay down, I get to offer this. I get to confess this. I get to give him the fruit of the lips that praise his name. I cannot afford to lose the sight of what God has done through Jesus and his inexhaustible mercy. This is the ultimate motivation, and I mean that, for righteous and holy living, obedience to God no matter the cost or consequence. And view of means the place we're meant to continually redirect our vision and focus on. In view of God's mercy, offer your bodies. Through Jesus, let the fruit of your lips be one perpetual sacrifice of praise. And when we do this, not just once, anyone go to the gym or try to get fit? How did it go for you after day one? Well, let me answer that for you. I have a gym membership now. Not much happened. <laughs> But let me tell you what I did yesterday. Uh, 
My little Bowflex weights, they go up to 52.5 pounds if you're counting. I could barely lift them. Now I'm pressing them because I've been working out 10 weeks. I don't say that to say, look at me. I say, this is how grace works too. It's through reps. You, see, you hear me? It's through reps. The thing that you couldn't even lift, now you can do 12 of because you've, by constant use, submitted yourself to the long haul, all of life process. Now let's transfer to the scriptures. Lord, I'm gonna offer my life today. Lord, my obedience is your little, my little offering to you when I go to work. Are you tracking with me? My little obedience is when I wake up and I, how I treat my spouse. My, you get what I'm saying? As we do this, God's spirit renews us and transforms us from glory to glory to glory to glory to glory to glory until we get to glory and all is glory. When we do this, all this, all this, it's not like this week when I was thinking about, oh, this is a living sacrifice moment. There's obedience to be had here. He can be glorified. Oh, instead of speaking this way, I can offer him praise instead. I had 10,000 of those opportunities, and so did you this week. And it's not like each one of them is like, holy, whoa, that was huge. I'm so transformed. But little by little, day in and day out, when we look at his face, we will be shocked by the likeness that the grace of God produced in us because we refuse to turn the dial. We refuse to settle for an impudent, powerless Christianity that we thought God only wanted a sliver of our life, but all of it now becomes an offering to his lordship and his goodness and glory. And in the exchange of worship, we're letting go of the illusion of our own little control and our own desire to rule our own world through our own means, and we're connected to a new world in which God is king. And as we worship, we see rightly so that we can now think and then live accordingly. I already said it. Worship impacts worldview, which impacts how we operate in the world. You see why the altar, so back to the altar, because we're talking about dwelling place and I'm done. Why are you so relentless? And we're going to, listen, I said this on the email, the last three or four emails. If all of our altar times don't work, but you want to come to an altar, tell me a time and we'll build one when you can come. I'm dead serious. Why do we do these little one-hour moments? Because I won't think kingdom all the time everywhere unless I am transformed and trained to think kingdom some of the time somewhere. And the altar is the unique place with worship and the word and prayer with other believers where Jesus is literally enthroned. He's at the center of our gathering. There's nothing to benefit us in the sense of, oh, this will get me head at work or my bottom line or whatever. It's all uh, it's all for him. But it's a time and a space and a place where his word and his presence has the capacity to transform us, our heart, our soul, our mind, and our body. And then we always commission each other to go live as the peculiar people of God. And we want to, listen, we are in training time. Whether you feel it or not, we are, there, this is, this is like as peaceful as it will get. We are entering into an election year. And I have the zeal of God in my spirit to prepare the church that I pastor to enter and to embody and experience this next year well with all of its probable craziness that's probably coming. You hear me? And I'm not a doomsday prophet. It just probably is coming. So if we, listen, I, I say that, I'm gonna start preaching now, but the time is now to get trained. And the training is not, arm of flesh training. It's 
the Spirit, it's the Word, it's Jesus, it's in view of and through that he'll begin to change us, our thought life, our thought patterns, the things we long for, the things we hope, that we build our lives upon. Jesus, listen, I already quoted it in worship earlier, Hebrews 12, 25 through 29. Everything that can be shaken will be. The only thing that will be left standing is the unshakable kingdom of God. And we, God wants to train us to be unshakable because he's transformed our mind through the offering up of our lives and our body. This is a, like a youth camp way to say it, but I'm almost 40, so I'm technical, it's technically still a youth, kind of. Either we are thermometers that are only able to register what is the current cultural climate, or the Holy Spirit can make us thermostats that can actually change the culture around us because of the king and kingdom mindset the Spirit is cultivating in our midst. Being a thermometer doesn't take a lot, but to have our minds so transformed that we can actually be change agents. And if you're like culture of the world, that's too gnarly. How about culture of your family? About culture of your workplace, culture of your little friend circle. Are you tracking with me? Make it as small as you want. He wants to transform us to not just be able to read what's happening, but to be able to bring a substantive different opportunity and alternative in that space and place that we call the kingdom of God. Life in the way of Jesus. And I said this, and here I said it, so you can actually read it. The reason becoming a dwelling place is so critical is because from his presence, he mediates his wisdom, insight, discernment, understanding, direction, word, and way. And I'm telling you, we're going to need access to his wisdom and discernment in the days that we are in and entering. And what's amazing about that passage of Romans 12, the gathering of believers is supposed to be a place where he comes and mediates these things to us. I said last week, the whole Bible knows nothing of a rugged, radical individualism. All the weight we put on individuals, you figure out all by yourself the will of God and his purposes. No, that's why we have each other. And I, I, I'm dreaming and praying for the day when you and I submit, like the big choices, we would submit it in, a, in, a, in this kind of environment. We're ministering to God. We're blessing him in his view of his mercy and through Jesus. And in that space, the Lord would give clarity and insight for how we're actually meant to move forward in obedience to his will and his ways. And as we enthrone him in a dwelling place, oh, skip that so we can end there. Look at this. This is the slide I wanted. So here's what happened. Here's what is, I've been saying this for like six weeks. Here's what's available to us, not inevitable. So when we gather for worship every time, whether it's in a small group, a community group, a prayer meeting, around your dinner table with a few others, or workplace, a lunch environment, whatever, or just it is first God who gathers us. Aren't you thankful that we didn't initiate this thing, nor do we ever? God gathers. Say it with me. God gathers. And by his spirit and grace, we worship. What happens when we worship? Jesus comes. What does Jesus do? He speaks. He's the word of God. So he, by the Holy Spirit, through the preached and taught word and the gathering of the saints and through the body, God gathers us. That's why you came this morning. We worship. Jesus descends and comes in the midst of his people, and he speaks. And what happens when he speaks? Everything he says just fits nicely in our already perfectly righteous lives. And perfectly, no, <laughs> come on, somebody. He convicts us. Amen? But his conviction is good. 
And he calls us, he clarifies a nuance of something you brought in, an anxiety, a worry. I don't know how this works, how I'm supposed to live this week. I got this thing I'm facing, this ailment, this sickness, this sin I can't cast off. He convicts, he calls, clarifies, and he commissions. And then together, everyone say together, we get to discern and weigh the word that Jesus is speaking, and then we get to say yes and amen to the leadership of Jesus. Then, this is, again, available every time we gather. Not inevitable, but available. We get to encourage each other to reach for God and obey him this week to live for his glory. Do you see that pattern? God gathered us this morning. I know we're not many, but he gathered us. You heard his little voice. You're like, I didn't hear his voice. Well, you're here this morning. You heard something. Whatever it's guilt or whatever, I got to go to church or whatever. But God gathered the scattered people. Think of all the miles, the radius we came from. God the Father gathered his sons and daughters around his son Jesus this morning. And Jesus hopefully came and he's been speaking the whole morning through worship, through the word. He convicts us, oh, yeah, that part of my life, I'm not offering to God. I kind of keep that to myself. So his spirit hopefully has been able to convict some, to clarify, to call you deeper. And then you get to discern with other believers, hopefully at lunch, this is like post-service time. I'm gonna, man, I don't know. What, really, he wants my lips to be an offering of perpetual praise instead of how I'm using my language. My, and you get to discern it with others, and then you get to say, amen, yeah, I think so, yes. And then we get to encourage each other. If we get him, we get everything. How many believe that? That's why I'm so, this, this, I can't even turn the dial on dwelling place because if we get him, we have access to everything. And I just made a list of, of, of the everything. Salvation, healing, deliverance, direction, vision, power, resources, forgiveness, equipping, community, camaraderie. Why do we want to become a dwelling place? Because it's from the mediation of his presence. Anything is possible where he is. How many believe that this morning? Where he, when he comes... All of this and more is available through his son. Oh, God waits to be wanted. The one thing he won't coerce is the offering up of our lives, our hearts, our soul, our mind, our strength, our time, our treasure and talent. But what I want him to, when, when the father looks down through his son's eyes that are like fire, they just pierce, they're pure, they're holy, they're beautiful. When he looks down and sees our little flock, our little group, He's like, oh, I have access to an all of life offering. All of them just bought in. How many want to be that church that when God looks, he's like, those are the, they, they're withholding nothing because they have a vision of how I withheld nothing to redeem the entirety of their life. How many want to be that church? I'm a dwelling place church. It's just us. Nothing fancy. God doesn't need the many. He'll do so much more through a potent few than a powerless many. And I'm not saying big equals not holy or small. I, I want us to grow and be healthy and flourishing. But I'm just relentless right now in my prayer time for our church that, God, would you make us a potent church, a church that worships and offers the entirety of all that we are to you because you offered all that you are for all of us. How many believe that this morning? God, yeah, so let's just, let's just wait for 30 seconds or so and respond. Just, Lord, I just thank you for your word. 
We thank you for loving us and caring about all of life. And just, man, all across the room, just begin to offer that part that you've been withholding or that part that needs the transformation of God's grace or love or truth. And you say, Jesus, here it is. No more hiding, no more withholding. Because you withheld nothing from me, I want to bring the entirety of my life as an expression of worship. And in that worship, our minds are transformed through the truth of the one we worship. Lord, I love you. I thank you for your word this morning. Thank you for gathering us. Thank you, Jesus, for speaking. We give you honor. We give you glory. I just wonder right now, just as we close, we're doing so good on time. Anyone in this room that you just say, Chad, I'm in a season, I'm in a place where I really need to discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will. Is that, if that's you, can you just stand up on your feet? That should be no shame at all to anybody, but you're just, you're in a season of seeking. And I, man, I want us to be the body of Christ here. Austin, there's several standing. Can a few of you who are standing, are sitting by those who are standing, open your eyes, we're a family here. Maybe just lay hands on their shoulder gently and just pray, Lord, I pray the spirit of wisdom and revelation. You said when the body gathers, we could test and approve what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will. So come on up, uh, beloved, if you see someone standing. I want everyone uh, prayed for that in this place, the Lord would actually unlock some things redemptively as it pertains to his will and his purpose. Man, I bind the lie of rugged individualism that you have to figure it out all your own. Yes, there are things we personally figure out, but Lord, we want to believe in the life that we have available to us in the spirit as one body with Christ himself as our head. And so Lord, for those standing, and even those seated for, for whatever reason, they didn't want to stand. I pray you would just pour out your wisdom for those who are at crossroads of discovering and discerning what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will. God, we just cry out as we offer in view of your mercy and through Jesus that we begin to walk and live and inhabit the world of which Christ reigns and rules over all things. That we have access to the very thoughts of Jesus, the very wisdom of God, the counsel of his might. Father, would you impart your wisdom to the body today? And I pray even now as those who are just praying over our brothers and sisters, I pray that things would begin to unlock and make sense in their minds. That you would clear any clutter that's influenced by the father of lies, any, any shame, any accusation of the, the accuser. Right now, we speak the name of Jesus over those competing voices and we ask for clarity to come forth. We ask for the, the clear voice of Jesus to pierce through the noise. And that our church, we would be able to discern together the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. Come, Holy Spirit. We want our minds to be governed by you, which is life and peace. 
Father, we declare Philippians 2.6, let this mind be in you, which was also in Jesus. He withheld nothing in the offering of his, his life. Lord, may we follow Jesus today, withholding nothing in light of who he is and what he's done. Here we are as a living sacrifice before you. In Jesus' mighty name, amen.